0: You're listening to the Secrets of Successful Business Podcast, your go-to source for business tips, tricks, and proven strategies that will help you create a streamlined and profitable business. We chat to the best minds in business about their journey. I think there's a lot to be said for naivety. You achieve a lot when you don't quite know. How they started. Hard work doesn't necessarily mean more money. What they learned along the way. I think we do just overcomplicate things and think we have to. And of course, we'll ask them for their secret sauce for creating a successful business. We need to build real emotional connections with our customers that go beyond what we sell. Join us as we take a sneak peek behind the curtain, talk solutions for those business pain points, working smarter, not harder, mindset, and the challenges of fitting it all in with the demands of today's busy lifestyle. If you're a business owner, side hustler, or just starting your business journey, this podcast is for you now. Here's your host, business coach and content creator, Justine McLean from Flossie Creative. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today. In case we haven't
1: met, I'm Justine, a small business owner on a mission to uncover and share the secrets of creating and running a profitable, sustainable, and successful business. I've been in business for over 20 years now, and I get to use all that I've learned along the way to help other women in business reduce the overwhelm, gain visibility around their numbers, charge what they're worth, and make more money. It's about designing a life you love that fits into your definition of success. So if I can help you create the profitable business you deserve, please reach out. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. When I first approached today's guest, author, writer, and keynote speaker Summerland to join me on the podcast, we were going to talk about the art of ghostwriting. As someone who did a bit of ghostwriting in the past, I'm always interested to learn somebody else's process. But I thought it might be good to share what ghostwriting is and exactly what the process looks like with all of you. Because who knows, maybe there is someone listening today who has a book inside them somewhere but just doesn't know how to get it onto paper. Walk in, ghostwriter. But I soon learned that Summer, who's now also a regular speaker for EQ Minds, is a bit of a sleep expert. And in fact, she's on a mission to help us all get more sleep. So what started out as a chat about ghostwriting somehow morphed into a chat about exactly how we could all get better sleep. For that reason, I've decided to make this conversation a two-parter. In today's episode, it's all about ghostwriting, and in the episode that will air next week, we're going to dive into exactly how to get a good night's sleep, so enjoy. Welcome, Summer. It is so lovely to have you on the podcast to talk about two of my favorite topics, sleep and writing. Thank you so much for having me. They don't seem to go together, do they? I I first learned about you through Chelsea actually, Chelsea Pottinger. We recorded a podcast a few weeks ago about her book and she was so lovely about you and and so amazing. I thought, I've got to get somewhere onto the podcast. But then I learned that you were a bit of a sleep expert. So I thought, mm, yeah, we're not just going to talk about ghostwriting. We need to talk about that today too. But before we dive into that, how does a gal from the USA end up as a writer in Mudgee? So can you share a little bit about your journey and what it is you do? Absolutely. I think it's
2: hilarious that I've ended up in Mudgee because, fun fact, I was actually born in Coal Country in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I moved away. I had my first birthday in Florida, but my whole family's still from West Virginia, and they love to say, you went all the way down to Australia to marry a coal miner. We have plenty of those back here. (laughs) So it's quite a joke in my family that I now live in coal country, Australia. And how that happened was I was born and raised, well, West Virginia born, Florida raised, college in Boston, first job in marketing was in Colorado. And one of my Dear best friends, her whole family lives in Park City, Utah, which is a famous ski region in the mm-hmm. state. So I'd often go visit her. And in 2008, I was there for Thanksgiving and we had heard that a ton of travelers were renting the house across the street from her families Australians, Kiwis, Pommies, a French girl, Croatian guy. And we decided that, you know, the the truly American thing to do would be to knock on their door and you know tell them about the great holiday of Thanksgiving and welcome them to the neighborhood and offer some leftovers. And I knocked on the door and straight away, I met my now husband, Paul, oh. which is really convenient. And I did more than that though. Like I met him, I met all of these friends and over the course of like two to three hours, I just expanded my vocabulary massively with words like Ski season, gap year, working holiday, travel visa. Like I was like, what? I'm American. We don't go anywhere. Like, yeah. I, in my defense, I was really quite well traveled for an American. But I was also operating under the pretense that you go to school, you go to college. Like, if you don't get your master's, you get a job. Like, you just work and you take your four to six weeks off a year that you accrue after multiple years of working. Mm-hmm. Actually, we don't get four to six weeks. We get two weeks in America. I'm exactly. so Ameri- I'm so Australian now. So you take your two weeks, and exactly. usually you have to save those for. Weddings and stuff, but um, you know, I had only been working at my job in Colorado about I want to say like six months,
0: mm-hmm. maybe
2: even less. And when I saw what all all y'all were doing, <laughs> living your best lives, I was like, oh, I think I need to give notice and come and do a ski season. And then I got a working holiday visa for two thousand nine, I traveled from Perth to Darwin for four months, and then I did Sydney up to Port Douglas and back. And I was just like sold on the way that Australians do life yeah so after that went back to america did a ski season and that's when my husband and i decided we were i think 22 or 23 at that point that we should probably get grown-up jobs he had done seven winters back to back i was just a bit wandering like i had this marketing degree but i was like is really what i want to do i don't know i'd go anywhere and so we decided to settle down first in Wollongong. At the end of 2010. Mm-hmm. And because my husband is a fitter by trade and he had aspirations to work in a coal mine, he found his way to Mudgee, which meant I found my way to Mudgee in 2011. I think we both thought it would be temporary, that it was something that we would do just to get experience, move back to Wollongong, closer to family, closer to friends. And we are now like 12 years deep. We have a house, we have dogs, we have two kids. My mom migrated over, she lives wow. with us. Like we are so. Deep into Mudgy.
0: And that's how I got here.
1: It's quite a hip, hip place now. It's not the sort of, uh, you know, I I remember one of my boys, uh, we had to take him to Mudgy for, I don't know, a school soccer carnival or something when he was 11 or 12. And it wasn't the best place to go back then, but it's quite hip now, right? Yeah. Even just seeing the growth from 2011 to now, we keep
2: being rated the number one tourist destination. And that is makes complete sense to me just because of how the winery owners here and the short stay accommodation owners have seen what this region has to offer it and Mm -hmm. how they've packaged it and how they cater. And I'm really impressed with even just how they've shifted the hours of operation. Like when I first moved here, it was dead on a Sunday, right? Like Mm -hmm. like what's going on? And now everyone stays open even Sunday, Monday, and they take their day off Tuesday. I just really feel like they're understanding now that we're not just a a mining town. We're very much a tourist destination and it's really fun to have that buzz come through.
1: And so how did you transition then into writing? That
2: is a fun fact. Okay. So 2010 existential crisis, right? Like I'm traveling. Who am I? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? I have this like expensive college degree, but do I really love marketing? I do, by the way. (laughs) And I was, um, having a life chat with my friend's big sister, Krista Wells, who happens to be a life coach. And I said to her, you know, I think I might, maybe I'll get into pharmaceutical sales. And she's like, why? And I said, because I had just seen love and other drugs and Jake Gyllenhaal is hot. And that looks like a (laughs) fun lifestyle to me. (laughs) And she's like, Summer, I think you should be a writer. I'm like, do go on elaborate. What do you mean? She's like, you just, you always tell these really fun stories. You have a really good way of delivering them think you should be a writer. And around that time I had discovered authors such as David Sidaris and Chelsea Handler and Augustine Burroughs and people who just were, oh, and Sloan Crosley. So people doing this like short essays and packaging them all together. And every time I'd read them, I would think, oh, I have stories like that, or mm-hmm. I can reflect like that. And so I just started writing essays. And I would email them to my friends or my mom and they'd read them and they'd love it. And then I thought it'd be fun to put together a blog. So I I started the blog and put them there. And then I actually listened to a marketing guy named David Meerman Scott talk in Sydney. And he gave me the idea of packaging up a short story or collection of short stories as an ebook and giving it away for free. Mm -hmm. And so I created a little ebook called fried chicken for the drunk girl soul (laughs) and (laughs) had some funny stories in there. And I created this Facebook event and I basically flooded all of my Facebook friends being like on this date, you can get my free ebook. I'd love for you to download it. And a thousand people downloaded it on day one. And by the end of the month, it was 10,000 people. And at that time, like I didn't have... I had dreams of writing a book and I think it was inside of me, but it was still very much these, like all these separate stories just peppered through my, my email outbox and Mm -hmm. my blog. But I think it was May. Is that when the Sydney Writers Festival happens? Yeah, I think so. Yep. So May, 2012, I went to this event called, So You Think You Can Write at the Sydney Writers Festival. And they had 10 people from the audience pitch their books to a panel of publishers and they just get feedback. So no one's, no one's getting a book deal there. Mm-hmm. And I went to listen. How are people pitching their books? What's this feedback? What can I learn from this? And by the seventh person, I was like, I think I, I, think I could pitch my book. I think tell know what they, they want to hear. So I raised my hand, nothing. Raised my hand, nothing. I was the last person called. I pitched my book. They had wonderful feedback. And I'm like, thank you. Sat down. And at the end of it, another publisher who was in the audience came over and was like, we'd like to give you a book deal. Wow. <laughs> I know. And so then suddenly I had a book deal. And I wrote a book. And that's how I got into the wonderful world of writing. But it's a little hot tip. Do I recommend writing a memoir at the young age of 25? I don't. And like, <laughs> me, like, yes, if you're famous or if you sailed around the world, right? Like if you were Jessica Long or what, what's, what's her last name? I don't know. If you're a little girl who sailed around Australia or around the world and then sailboat solo, yes, you should write a memoir. If you're just like a kind of funny girl who grew up in Florida and now lives in rural Australia, like maybe not, maybe make it fiction. Maybe just save it for later because financially, like (laughs) commercially, like it just didn't do that well, which is fine because it also coincided with the fact that I had a child. And so for a few years there, I just was like popping out babies, still writing, doing more marketing. And it wasn't until... I guess like we can segue now into ghostwriting life Mm -hmm. because that did happen a bit later. I didn't know that ghostwriting was a thing, but my literary agent. So after my first book, then I had my second book and that one also didn't do very well because again, like I'm still not famous and people don't care about me. So I accept that. But my agent said, do you, do you, do you want to like ghostwrite a book? I have this publisher who has this new client that I can't have to be really vague here, about who it was, Uh, yeah. Right. And I'm just like, sure, I'll write this, this person's book. Absolutely. I don't know what that means, but yeah, what's a, Okay. But fake it till you make it. Absolutely. I really just like, yeah. was, I didn't even, like, I might've even like Googled ghostwriter. Like I just, I don't, I don't know. So I said, yes. And for me, I think ghostwriting probably looks really different for everyone because of their method. I basically interview someone weekly and find out what story, what message they want to tell and I mine out more content. I see if there's something that they don't even know they want to tell. Mm-hmm. I maybe even censor them if I'm like, mm, no, it's not necessary. Or like, you really don't want to put that on paper. And then I help, like, I fully structure the book. I get them the beginning, middle of the end. Sometimes I feel a bit like a therapist because it's like, if I'm writing memoir, we're usually working through something pretty emotional. Yeah. And then I write every single word as if that person had written it like in their voice i have to very much understand their humor their tone their language and i like to go week by week or like chapter by chapter so i write it and then i send it to them and then they do a lot like they give me their input and i'll tweak it some authors are really involved and they're crossing things out and they're rewriting sentences other authors are like yeah love it and i'm like did you read it <laughs>
1: You freaked out by your business finances? Frantic when it comes to end of quarter compliance? Has tax time got you in a cold sweat? If you can relate, you're not alone. Most business owners find the financial side of their business overwhelming, confusing and probably on the never to-do list. When I started my first business, I felt exactly the same way. However, I quickly realized the impact good financial management made to every part of my business. So over the last 20 plus years, I've focused on the finance. I've become a registered BAS agent, worked in insolvency, and now I work with other business owners on building financially strong and successful businesses. From bookkeeping and compliance services, to -to one-to-one coaching and mentoring, workshops, online courses, and my signature service, The Pricing Form here at flossy creative we've got you covered so if your business finance makes you feel blah reach out book in for a discovery call learn about our services and find the aha moment that will change your business for the better we'll help you go from frazzled to fabulous in no time flat it's a bizarre concept, isn't it? The concept of ghostwriting. I mean, like you, I sort of probably vaguely knew about it, but I didn't really know it was a thing until I was actually doing it. And, you know, I think that most people, and and invariably you're writing for people who are celebrities in, in some way, maybe yeah. not the biggest celebrities around, but they're certainly uh, at the top of their field or at the top of their game. And 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 mostly you get no recognition. Mostly the world will never know that that book has been ghostwritten. They'll just take it as gospel that whoever the author is, who, whoever the famous person is, let's call them that, is the author, and that's kind of how it goes. You know, that can be quite difficult, I think, from an ego point of view as the ghostwriter. You kind of have to put that in a box. Yeah. But for that reason, I was so interested that Chelsea Pottinger was so open about the fact that you had ghostwritten The Mindful High Performer. And she said that when she mentioned that at the book launch, people were a little shocked. But she also shared on, on the podcast that I did with her that all the way through the publishers were like, oh, you know, you shouldn't really be paying some of that much and you shouldn't really be doing this. And this is actually how you treat a ghostwriter. So were you surprised at the reaction that there was surrounding that whole thing? I'm not surprised.
2: I love how open and honest she is about it. Right. Because I, with my ego, I, I feel like I'm paid to, to not be acknowledged. And I Mm -hmm. really love that. And that's not, if I, if I wanted, if I needed that spotlight, I would continue to keep trying to write books under my own name. Mm -hmm. Um, I very much get satisfaction just from connecting with someone, learning from them, helping them tell their story. And what means a lot to me is the personal thank you that I get from them behind the scenes, right? If that's, Mm -hmm. if we just like open acknowledgement, that's enough for me. There's a really famous ghostwriter named J.R. Moinger, and he did Andre Agassi's Open, and he did Phil Knight's Shoe Dog. And he has a great quote about ghostwriting. He says, you don't take the baby home with the bathwater. And I Mm -hmm. love that. And I'm really there just to help someone like birth their book. And, you know, on one hand, do we need to be more transparent about who's writing a book? I don't think it really matters, right? Like, and I don't feel like my name needs to be on there because it's not my life. It's not my expertise. It's not my wisdom. Of course, sometimes I will like pepper my own jokes through there and add something. But for the most part, like I'm literally just like this like vessel that their story is flowing through. And then I'm just molding it up so that the rest of the world gets to have their genius like I did. So I don't feel like really there's any of me in there. Like the, the mindful high performer, like, that is Chelsea Pottinger. Like that is her life, her vision, her goals, her wisdom, like her sage advice. And that like, just getting to learn that, like I'm a changed woman because of it. Right. So Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I need to be on there, but it's so interesting that when I was standing in that room and she was giving me credit on stage at her book launch and the publishers were next to me and they're like, authors never do this.
1: Yeah. They never do this. They
2: never do this. And I said, like, I'm like, it's so, it's so nice. And I think that the reason I'm sure like you guys covered this, but it sets a false precedent of what is expected of us in terms of performance in life. Right. And she's like, it's just really unfair for me to project to the world that I run a business, that I'm a mother, that I'm a full-time uni student, that I'm delivering two to three keynotes a day. Mm -hmm. And I'm writing a book. And I have time for my husband and I have a social life. Like, she's like, yeah. I don't. And I just don't want to make people feel that pressure of that that's how they should be performing at home yeah. and, and, and yeah. professionally. I love that about her.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And bravo to her because that's exactly what she said to me. And when I she said that, I thought, well, it's amazing that you're prepared to come out and say it because so often we see that highlight reel of someone's life and we make ourselves feel completely bad and wrong because we can't yeah. achieve that or aspire to that so when it comes to ghostwriting, I mean first of all you've you've authored two books as you mentioned Summerlandish and I now pronounce you husband and expat so I suppose a couple of questions do you prefer writing for others or for yourself I like at
2: this point in my life I really like writing for others it's, I think the things that I value the most in life are connection education like learning and write, and the act of writing and ghostwriting just bundles all of my favorite things up into one. So mm-hmm. I just have so much fun getting to absorb life lessons from someone and and then writing it yeah. and letting it flow and getting into flow state. So I love it. I do feel called to write something these days. I don't think it's memoir. I think it would be more fiction. Mm-hmm. but. When it comes to nonfiction, I'm just loving writing other people's stuff.
1: And as you said, I think it's about really sort of getting into their voice and what it is that they want to say. And that I imagine can be a little difficult. What are some of the other pros and cons of of being a ghostwriter? So
2: financially, I really like it <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: because... Because like, you're just paid this, like, you like, you know what you're going to get out of it. When you're an author, you're kind of like, okay, I have my advance, but like, if my book sale is not good, do I have to pay it back? What's going to happen here? And you can negotiate mm-hmm. all sorts of contracts with ghostwriting. You could have the flat fee. You could have royalties. Like sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I do like that. I can have this steady stream of, e- of income as a ghostwriter that I just personally couldn't have as an unsuccessful author. I'm not going to say that's not possible as an author. It definitely is for other people. Yeah. So that's a pro. A con would be depending on your rate. Like this is, I'm going to be really just open and honest Mm because people are here listening for business advice. You can't, like I started low and if I wanted to be kept in the lifestyle that I'm accustomed to, Mm I have to write a lot of books and I'm not going to lie. Like I'm much better now, but I had to write eight books in two years. Like that's four books a year. That's a huge amount that's of writing. Massive.
0: Yeah.
2: And they were all on average, like 60 to 70,000 words. Like gosh, my yeah. wrists, my brain, like, and I was too afraid to go all in at first. So then I still consulted about 10 hours a week. So I was really pushing myself. And that is a con, I guess, of knowing where's your next meal coming from? Mm-hmm. Are you negotiating the best rate? So making it financially viable can be a bit tricky, but once you've like proven yourself and you've gotten your foot in the door and you have that successful title, like it's more, my rates more than doubled what the first yeah. one was. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like anything of just getting there and establishing credibility.
1: Exactly. Credibility and expertise, but you're right. I mean, it's not for the faint hearted and it's, Ghostwriting is not easy, in my opinion, because I've, I've done it. And the rates can be terrible. And yeah. <laughs> like, for, for me, I found the more famous the person, the lower the rate. I don't know if that's typical, but, you know, certainly that's that's how I discovered it. So I ended up going in another direction after a time. Wow. I hope you enjoyed today's episode on the art of ghostwriting. And don't forget to mark your diaries and tune in this time next week when you'll listen to Summer talk about exactly how we can all get a good night's sleep. And I don't know about you, but I'm definitely here for that. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to the Secrets of Successful Business podcast. For more information on all things business, head to flossy.com.au and make sure you hit subscribe on the show so you don't miss another new episode. If you're enjoying the show, please give it a quick rating or review, share it on your socials or with friends who might enjoy it. Catch you next time.